Good evening. It's good to be together tonight. Appreciate this time of worship that we're able to participate in together. Appreciate you said it this morning. I'm going to say it again tonight. This is a great church family to be a part of. Looking forward to this time that we're going to be able to spend in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to go ahead and get it out. We're going to be looking again for the second time in 1 Timothy chapter, rather 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. As we continue our study of this great letter, thinking about holiness and hope in a hostile world, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. Have you ever done something in vain? Have you ever done something for nothing? Have you ever looked like the lady up on the screen, tears streaming down your face when all the work you did was for nothing, where you invested a lot of time and energy and resources, a lot of work into something, and it just didn't work out? It didn't work out the way that you wanted. It didn't work out the way that you planned. That could take place in a number of different ways, even things that we might think of as being very small. As a parent or grandparent, have you put up your kids' toys that were scattered all over the living room only to have them pulled out in the next 15 minutes looking like you never even put them up in the first place? Have you ever washed your car and then it rained the next day? Have you ever been working on something on the computer and maybe the power jumped, the power went off, the computer turned off somehow, and you lost absolutely everything that you were working on? Have you ever cooked a new recipe? And the recipe just didn't turn out. You tasted it. It didn't taste too good. So you ended up having to throw it all away. I'd say that we've all been there. Even if it's just with small things, we know what it's like to do something in vain. We know what it's like to do something for nothing. To invest so much time and energy and resources into something, but it just doesn't work out. Well, you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 1. Paul makes a comment about his ministry in the city of Thessalonica. And you notice what he says. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. As Paul reflects on his ministry in the city of Thessalonica, he says, I want to remind you that our ministry among you, us coming to you, it wasn't something for nothing. It wasn't in vain. It wasn't one of these situations where we were investing so much, but we didn't see any result or didn't see any success the Apostle Paul's ministry in the city of Thessalonica alongside of his companions in his ministry on, on that second missionary journey recorded in Acts chapter 17 verses 1 through 10, his time in Thessalonica was not in vain. It was successful. It was not a ministry that was for nothing. It was a ministry that experienced results. And so when we look through 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-12, through 12, I believe Paul explains to us why his ministry wasn't in vain. Paul explains to us why his ministry was so successful. Now let's pause for just a moment and let me remind you that the word ministry simply means service. When we talk about a minister in the New Testament, we're not necessarily talking about somebody who stands up and preaches the Word of God. Somebody who is who is hired full-time at a specific congregation of the Lord's church, when we talk about a minister, we're just talking about a servant. That's what we're all supposed to be. That's what we're all supposed to be doing as followers of Jesus. We are all ministers who are involved in ministry. We are all servants of God who should be intent on serving other people. So you ask yourself the question, do you want your ministry to be successful? 
Do you want to be successful in serving other people? Do you want to be successful as a minister? I think we need to spend some time in this passage. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-12, through Paul talks about ten marks of successful ministry. And when we invite those principles, when we invite those ideas into our lives, I believe that we will see the same results that he did. We talked about the first five of them the last time that we were together in, the, in our study through 1 Thessalonians. Number one, the first mark of successful ministry is having a willingness to suffer. The second, having a reliance on God. The third, a declaration of the Gospel. The fourth, a dedication to the truth. And fifth, sincerity. Having a sincere heart. Having a sincere motivation. As we move forward through the rest of this text, the remainder of this text this evening, I want us to add five more ideas to that. Five more marks of successful ministry. Number six. Mark number six of successful ministry, according to chapter two and verse number seven, is gentleness. You notice the Apostle Paul's words in verse number 7. He says, we were gentle among you. Which I find that very interesting. If you go back to chapter 2 and verse number 2, Paul says that he was declaring the Gospel of God with great boldness. He was placing his boldness in the Lord as he declared the Gospel, the good news of the Lord. Oftentimes when we think about boldness, how do we think about it? I'm going to tell you what you need to hear and you're going to listen. I'm going to shove this message down your throat and it really doesn't matter how you feel about it. I really don't care how you respond to it. It's something that you need to hear, so I'm just going to throw this in your face. Oftentimes, that's how we think about boldness. Notice that's not how the Apostle Paul thought about boldness. Was Paul bold in his preaching? Absolutely. But notice in verse 7 that he was also gentle. Paul never compromised the message, verse 2, but he also never compromised his character. He was gentle among them. If you jump back to verse number 2, were the Thessalonians gentle with the Apostle Paul? Well, no. You find when he enters into the region of Macedonia and first goes into the city of Philippi, which is Acts chapter 16, he talks about how he suffered and he was shamefully treated at Philippi. And then as he went in boldness and declared the Gospel of God at the end of verse 2, he declared it in the midst of much conflict. In the midst of much difficulty, remember that in Acts 17, how the Jews in Thessalonica were so antagonistic towards him and the message that he was preaching that they ended up running him out of town. He had to leave immediately in the middle of the night. The Thessalonians weren't gentle with Paul, but Paul was gentle with them. Paul did not treat the Thessalonians how the Thessalonians treated Paul. His treatment of them was not based on their treatment of him. Paul was gentle among them. Well, Paul, explain to me a little bit more about what that gentleness looked like. Could you give me an illustration? And that's what he does when you look at verse number 7, that he was gentle among them like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. That's a metaphor that the individuals in the first century would have readily understood. I think it's a metaphor that we understand pretty well as well. Paul says, I was gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of your children. Can can you picture that? A nursing mother taking care of her children. She's not going to yell at them. She's not going to scream at them. She's not going to hurt them in any way. But a nursing mother with her children is going to be very gentle, very careful, very loving. And that's how Paul handled the Thessalonians in chapter 2 and verse 7. He was gentle among them, just like a nursing mother with her children. How a nursing mother takes care of her children. 
the sixth mark of successful ministry. You want to be successful in serving other people? You need to be gentle. I think sometimes Christians get caught in a kind of thinking that says, I'm going to boldly proclaim the truth. But in reality, what they're doing is being mean. Being rude. Have you seen that before? The message that's coming out of their mouth might be factually true. And it might be in line with what the Scriptures teach. But the way that they're saying it, the way that they're communicating that message, as I heard one person say it one time, they're being jerks for Jesus. Have you ever heard that before? I'm sure that we've all seen it. I'm sure that we've all experienced it. Should we be bold in our lives as followers of Jesus? No doubt about it. Place your boldness in the Lord as you declare the Gospel to those who are around you on a daily basis. But as we are bold, Paul says that we also need to be gentle. Never compromise the message. But also never compromise your character. Be gentle with people like a nursing mother taking care of her children. Even when people aren't gentle with us, we should be gentle with them. We learn that from the Apostle Paul. I like what he has to say to Timothy towards the end of his life, at the very end of his life, in 2 Timothy 2, verses 24-26. through 26, He says the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. If you're going to be the Lord's servant, then you can't be ready to fight. You can't be ready to argue and to quarrel with other people. He says instead, you need to be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Well, if I shouldn't quarrel with people, does that mean that I don't need to correct them when they're in error? Does that mean I don't need to correct them when they're wrong? Well, no, verse 25 says correct his opponents. If somebody's wrong, if somebody's standing in error, if somebody's propagating error, presenting error that's not in line with the Word of God, we have the responsibility to correct them, but how do we correct them? Well, you don't take a hardback Bible and beat them over the head with it. Instead, he says, you correct your opponents with gentleness. What happens when we do that? Oh, with gentleness, God is able to grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. With gentleness, they might come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. When we are gentle with people, they're going to be willing to listen to us. But if that gentleness is not there, doors of opportunity are going to close. If gentleness is not there, people are going to turn us off and not listen to a word that we have to say. Even with, if what we're saying is true, we need to make sure that we're gentle with people. We'll never be successful if we're not gentle. Number seven, the seventh mark of successful ministry in this passage is having a love for people. Paul presents that to us in chapter 2 and verse number 8 whenever he says that he was affectionately desirous towards them. You know what he's saying there? He's saying we loved you. We love you so much that we desire you. We, we want to spend time with you. We want to be around you. He also says that at the end of verse number 8, that they had become very dear to them. Literally, they had become beloved. He loved them with everything that he had. I find it interesting that Paul's preaching in Thessalonica, it didn't just change the Thessalonians. It changed him. It didn't just bring the Thessalonians closer to Jesus. It didn't just bring them in relationship with God. But it also created within Paul and his companions a love not only for that city, not only for those people, but specifically for that congregation. How much did Paul love them? What, what was Paul willing to do for them because he loved them? Well, you continue reading in chapter 2 and verse 8, it was because he had become affectionately desirous of them that he was ready to share with them the gospel of God. When you love somebody, 
you're going to make sure that they hear and understand the Gospel message. You can't truly love somebody if you're not willing to share with them the good news of Jesus. But that's not all that Paul says. He says we love you so much that we wanted to share the Gospel with you. But he also goes a step further than that perhaps to say we wanted to share ourselves with you. We wanted to share our lives with you. Paul didn't hold anything back in this relationship. Everything that Paul had, he was willing to give to the Thessalonians. Why? It wasn't out of obligation. It wasn't because he had to. It wasn't about Paul or how skilled or how talented he was. It was simply because he had a love for people. And that's one of the reasons his ministry was so successful. Paul loved people. What about us? If we want to be successful in serving people, don't you think we need to love them? Don't you think that needs to be obvious? Don't you think that needs to be apparent? It makes me think about a husband who was laying in bed one Sunday morning. His wife came in and started shaking him and says, time to get up. You have five minutes to get ready or we're going to be late to church. You have to get up right now. He said, I don't want to go to church today. Those people don't like me. I don't like them. I just don't want to go today. Why do I have to go every Sunday? And she said, you have to get up. She, she kept insisting, kept shaking. You need to get up. We're going to be late for church. He kept saying, no, why, why do I have to go? And finally she just said, you have to go because you're the preacher. Now, now that's not a true story. That's, that's not what happened this morning with me and Leslie. That's, that's not how she woke me up. But can you see the point? If we're going to be successful in ministry, then we need to be intent on loving people. If you don't love people, you're never going to be successful in ministry. Even if you share the Gospel, even if you're intent on sharing the good news with people, if we have this mindset where we step in and we share the good news and then we step out and we never really share ourselves, then we're not going to be successful in ministry. Ministry will never be complete. Certainly share the Gospel. Keep that at the center of who we are. But we also have to be willing to share ourselves. Not because we have to. Not out of a sense of obligation. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about how talented we are. It's not about what we're capable of doing. But it's about how much we are willing to love the people that we're attempting to serve. If you don't love people, then ministry and really Christianity is not going to be for you. Number eight. Mark number eight of successful ministry. It has to be incorporated into everyday life. Notice that in chapter 2 and verse number 9 where he invites the Thessalonians to remember his labor and toil. How he and his companions worked day and night so that they would not be a burden to any of the Thessalonians while they were proclaiming to them the Gospel of God. We talked about a few weeks ago Perhaps one of the assumptions, one of the accusations that were being brought against the Apostle Paul by those antagonistic Jews is that Paul doesn't really care about you. He doesn't really care about your soul. He just wants your money. He just wants you to contribute to him. Paul wants to put a dead end to that accusation. He, he doesn't want that accusation to live in the minds or hearts of those who are Christians in Thessalonica. He says, I want you to remember how we worked. We labored and toiled day and night. We worked in a secular job so that we could provide for ourselves. We didn't take any money from you. We provide, provided for ourselves. Acts chapter 18 and verse 3 tells us that Paul was a tent maker while at the same time he was proclaiming to them the Gospel of God. 
Paul's secular job in tent making and him proclaiming the gospel were not two separate things. Proclaiming the gospel was incorporated into everything that Paul did, and that included his job as a tent maker. I imagine that being a tent maker, he received opportunities to connect with people and to share with people and to present the gospel to people that he would not have otherwise known or had contact with. Paul didn't view his secular job as separate from preaching the gospel. He did not view tent making as separate from ministry. Instead, his ministry was incorporated into what he did on a daily basis. And that's why he was so successful in ministry. He did not divide up his life into all of these different parts, but in everything that he did, he did ministry. In everything that he did, he served people. If we want to be successful in ministry, point number eight, we need to incorporate it into our everyday lives. As Christians, we go out into the world. We labor and toil. We have to work secular jobs Maybe sometimes it feels like both day and night, as Paul describes it here, in order to provide for ourselves, in order to provide for our families. And the temptation is this. The temptation is to separate your job from ministry. The temptation is to say that this is my job over here. And when I'm at my job, I'm an employer, I'm an employee, I'm a worker, and then I can be involved in ministry at other times. Don't we divide up our lives in those ways? We compartmentalize our lives when I'm at work, I'm a worker. When I'm at home, I'm a parent, I'm a spouse, grandparent, grandchild, child, whatever it might be. Then when I'm at church, I can think about worship, I can think about serving other people, and we divide up our lives in all these different ways. If we want to be successful in ministry, then we take serving people and we incorporate it into everything that we do on a daily basis. So that when I'm at work, I'm not just doing work, I'm doing ministry. When I'm at home, I'm not just at home fulfilling this role that I have in my house. I'm doing ministry among those who are present in my household. When I'm at church, I'm not just showing up to receive, but I'm actively looking to do ministry and to serve other people in any way that I can. If we want ministry to be successful, it can't be part-time for any of us. We have to incorporate it into everyday life. We have to incorporate it into everything that we do. Mark number 9 of successful ministry is godly conduct. Whenever you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 10, was Paul intent on preaching the gospel? No doubt about it. That's at the very center of who he was. That was the center of his mission. That was the center of his ministry is proclaiming the gospel. But notice in chapter 2 and verse 10, he wasn't just interested in proclaiming the gospel, he was interested in living the gospel. He practiced what he preached. He didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. And he reminds them of that in verse number 10. He says, you're witnesses of this. You saw this. You know this. But it's not just you. God is a witness of this. He saw it. He knows it. How holy. Holy is being set apart. It's being different. It's being set apart for God and His purposes as we live our lives on a daily basis. Number two, how righteous. Doing things that are right as opposed to doing things that are wrong. The Psalms tells us that all of God's commands our righteousness, living in step with His commands, being obedient to Him. And then number three, he says, how blameless. Nobody, Paul says, this is a pretty big statement. He said, nobody could look at me, point their finger at me, and accuse me of doing anything wrong. Nobody could blame me for doing anything sinful. Paul lived a life 
that was blameless. He says that's what our conduct was like toward you believers. Paul didn't just want to preach the Gospel. He wanted to live the Gospel. He practiced what he preached. He didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. In godly conduct, chapter 2 and verse 10. Paul says when we were among you, we were holy, we were righteous, and we were blameless. And that's one of the reasons why his ministry was so successful. Because he's not just up front proclaiming the message, but he's actively living out that message on a daily basis. The ninth mark of successful ministry is godly conduct. Here's a couple phrases that maybe you've heard before that point us towards the idea we're emphasizing here. Have you heard this before? Your life might be the only Bible that someone opens. That's a sobering reality. There are people who you interact with on a daily basis who are never going to open up this book like you have it opened up right now. Your life is going to be the only Bible that that person opens. Your life is going to be the only place where they find the principles and the love and the truth that's present in these Scriptures. Have you heard this one before? Preach the Gospel and use words if necessary. Preach the Gospel not necessarily in what you say, but in what you do. Live a godly example. Live in godly conduct. People are going to see that. That's going to interest people. And then that will give you opportunities to use words. To tell them why they're so different. As 1 Peter says in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, to give that defense for the hope that is within you with gentleness and respect, or gentleness and reverence. We want to be successful in ministry. Both of those quotes point us towards the same idea. We can't just talk it. We have to live it. We can't just talk the talk. We have to walk the walk. Because if we don't, that hypocrisy is going to be obvious. If we don't live the message that we're claiming for ourselves on a daily basis and how we talk and the things we do and the, what we involve ourselves in, what we prioritize on a daily basis, then people are going to see that and they're not going to be interested. People are not interested in a message that comes from a hypocritical life. And then finally, number 10, the 10th mark of successful ministry is encouraging faithfulness to God. Paul changes up his metaphor just a little bit in verse number 11. We saw back in verse 7, he compared himself to a nursing mother taking care of her children. But then in verse 11, he goes to the other side of that parental relationship and says, for you know how like a father with his children. Back in the first century, even today, fathers have the responsibility to encourage their kids, exhort their kids, charge their kids to do what is right. Paul says that's what we did. You remember how your fathers exhorted you, encouraged you, charged you to do certain things? He says that's what we were doing. We were exhorting. We were encouraging. We were charging you, verse 11, to walk in a manner that is worthy of God. You go back to verse number 10. Paul and his companions lived in a godly way. Their conduct was holy and righteous and blameless. That's why they're then able to move forward and encourage these people to be faithful to God. Because they're holy, they're able to encourage others to be holy. Because they're righteous and blameless, they're able to encourage the Thessalonians to be righteous and blameless, specifically to walk in a manner that's worthy of God. They are not encouraging perfection, they are encouraging faithfulness. And we need to understand the difference between those two terms. God is not encouraging us, God's not calling us to be perfect, we can't do it. 
1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, verse 10 teaches us that. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. We make God out to be a liar if we say we have no sin and His Word is not in us. We're not being called to perfection. We're being called to obedience. We're being called to commitment, to dedication, to faithfulness to God. He's the one who makes the difference, isn't He? Paul looks at the Thessalonians and says, recognize who God is at the end of verse 12. He is the one who has called you into His own kingdom and glory. It's God's kingdom. It's God's glory. Yet He extended to them an invitation to enter into that kingdom and to enter into that glory alongside of Him. God is the one who made the difference in their lives. And so Paul, his responsibility in his ministry is to encourage them, don't give up. Keep going. Don't fall away. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Live your life with this goal in mind. To walk in a way that is worthy of God. The tenth mark of successful ministry is to encourage faithfulness to God. Jesus teaches us in in Matthew, the seventh chapter, that if we're going to remove the speck from our brother's eye, then we first have to do what? We have to remove the plank that's in our own eye. And Paul had done that. That's something that we're to do. You, verse 10, and I are to live godly lives. We're to live holy. We're to live righteous. We're to live blameless. Only when we do that can we move on to verses 11 and 12. When we remove the plank that's in our eye, then we can reach out and remove the speck that's in our brother's eye to encourage them, to exhort them, to charge them, walk in a manner that's worthy of God. Now, you can't make anybody do anything. And we need to recognize that. You can lead a horse to water, but what? You can't make him drink. And the same is true here. You can encourage faithfulness. You can't make people be faithful. Our responsibility is to exhort them, to charge them, to push them towards faithfulness. Live for the Lord. Walk in a way that is worthy of the Lord. He's the one who has made a difference in our lives. He's called us into His own kingdom and glory. And so let's strive not to live in perfection. It's an unattainable goal. But to live faithfully, obediently, to live in commitment to Jesus Christ on a daily basis. Paul's ministry was not in vain. His ministry was successful. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-12, through 12, what about us? Are we intent on serving other people, number one? And then question number two, is that ministry, is that service going to be successful? If we follow the guidelines, if we follow the principles laid out for us in 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1-12, through 12, I think that's a good place to start. I think this is a good foundation to build upon. You want to be successful in serving people on a daily basis? Be willing to suffer for Jesus. Rely on God. Declare the Gospel. Be dedicated to the truth. Have a sincere motivation. Be gentle. Have a love for people. Incorporate your ministry into your everyday life. It's not part-time for anybody. Have godly conduct and encourage faithfulness to God to walk in a manner that is worthy of God. I believe if we can do those ten things, then we'll be able to stand alongside of the Apostle Paul and say, my coming to you, it was not in vain. This is not something for nothing. But this is a ministry that's successful. A successful ministry in this passage is not about results. It's not about how many people you baptized. It's not about how many Bible studies you have. It's not about how many needs you met. A successful ministry in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is about effort. What kind of effort are we putting in to serve people on a daily basis? If we can help you to do that in a better way tonight, we'd love to. As together we stand and sing.